Elizabeth? Elizabeth? Laura. What? Your friend. What was her name? I think uh, you can check the mail. You don't know how to spell your friend's last name? They just moved here. Do you really think that girl had something to do with her roommate's death? Listen. One thing I've learned from this job is that it doesn't matter what you think. It's what you know. And what you know is always changing. No signs of trauma and no indications of homicide. She appeared healthy. Welcome back to another episode of Skip the Lou. I am Lacey Lou, and with me tonight, I'm joined by my guest host, uh, Dan Chase. What's up, Dan? What's up, beautiful? How are you doing? I'm fantastic. It's really hot today. It is. So are you. Oh, that's sweet. Um, we also have the wonderful writer and director yes. of The Dead Girl in Apartment 3, Curtis Feeler. What's up, Curtis? Hey, how's everybody doing? Fantastic. Yeah, doing are you enjoying your summer? Uh, I work a lot. So, uh, yes. And I also just moved and got married. So, Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> so right. there's a lot going on. Wow. Uh, and, and then I've been doing press for two movies. So, uh, yeah, we're all pretty busy. Now, did you plan on, um, releasing the movie about the same time that you just got married? <laughs> Uh, no, no, actually. So th this movie was shot a couple of years ago. It just uh, oh. got kind of held up in distribution. Um, and, you know, I think COVID played a factor in some of that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it just happens to be coming out now. And uh, like I said, I'm doing press on another movie called New York Ninja, uh, which is uh, made through Vinegar Syndrome, the company I work for. Um, I'm not sure if uh, anybody out there is familiar, um, but it's a film restoration preservation company. So, uh, yeah, I have been pretty busy. That's awesome. What do you do for, for them? Uh, so I'm one of the restoration artists. Uh, I also work on special features. Um, you know, some of your fans who are listening to this, I'm sure know who we are, um, but we mostly uh, restore genre films and re-release them on Blu-ray and uh, now UHD. So um, That's amazing. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah it, you just get cooler every second I hear you speak. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I, I, I really couldn't ask for a better job because, I mean, it's hard finding jobs in the film industry, but oh. then finding one that's literally in the film industry is awesome right. because film is sort of this dying art. Um, but, you know, to have like essentially a nine to five, I mean, we work long hours here, so it's not really nine to five, but to essentially have a nine to five and still be able to work and make movies and all right. that other kind of stuff, I, I really couldn't ask for more, so that's dope now is vinegar syndrome i'm like obviously i've heard of it and i think i have a couple of titles upstairs but is it all horror uh no so uh the company originally started with adult films and then oh. it yes yeah so uh <laughs> and then it, and then it transitioned into horror films and um actually their very first release was the lost films of herschel gordon lewis because he ah. made he made uh, sexploitation films while he was making horror stuff. So, um, so there's always kind of been a horror element to the to the company. But um, right. in recent years, since I joined the company about four years ago, we've been mostly genre being, you know, horror uh, action, um, you know, things of that nature. We do a lot of giallo films, stuff like that. So, oh, that's I amazing! That's so cool. 
Well, like clearly you're a horror fan. Um, you came out with a couple of titles now. Um, you did Sheepskin as well. So what is it for your love for horror that made you want to make a horror movie? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of what I was raised on. I was raised on horror movies and action movies, uh, you know, local mom and pop video store. Uh, you know, in growing up in the 80s and early 90s, you know, I would go to the store and um, Luckily, the the people that owned there was a literally a mom and pop, uh, a husband and wife who owned the video store down the street from me, and uh, they knew my parents were actually cool enough to not really uh, censor me when it came to renting movies. So uh, I would go into the store and they'd basically let me rent whatever I wanted. And uh, I watched a lot of horror movies when I was younger, and um, I really wasn't scared of them. I found them fun and interesting, and. I just think the genre, there's a, a certain amount of freedom to the genre. And uh, from a filmmaking perspective, especially when you're working with very low budgets. Um, but aside from that, uh, you know, people throw around the word horror as if it's like one genre, but there's so many subgenres right. within the horror world that there's, you could continue to make horror movies your whole life and still make different movies each time you right. know so so i don't know i just find the genre freeing and um you know there's rules to the genre but there's also not rules to the genre which is kind of cool so right now you said that um you know obviously you said they're not scary and i agree with that um in a lot of ways i don't find a lot of horror movies are actually scary so what would you say is like the number one thing the number one tool that you would use as as like a scare tactic so to speak uh, you know, it's interesting because as as I've progressed as a filmmaker, you know, you you focus a lot on the visual side of things, but really I've come to find that audio is a big part of it. And, you know, nowadays, like I said, most things don't scare me, but honestly, like the, the movies that I find sort of the creepiest um, are a lot of, uh, you know, foreign films. I mean, there was the J-horror boom uh, you know, back in the early 2000s. And I actually found those movies to be creepy. And a lot of times it's because it was, they were slower paced and they focused on, you know, things like sound design and all of that. And um, it gets under your skin, you know, right. um, as opposed to like outward jump scares and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I personally find supernatural stuff uh, a little more unnerving, uh, a guy chasing you with an ax, um, I, I absolutely love slasher films are probably one of my favorites, even though yeah. I haven't made one yet. Um, but I, I mean, I love 80 slasher films. They're, they're pretty much my favorite, but, uh, those are just fun. You know, uh, the, if anything kind of gets under my skin, it would be things that are a little more slow paced atmospheric. So. Right. And the sound design in this is great. I find that a lot of movies, though, overdo it with the loud bang and they're, me they're meant to scare you. I actually respectfully disagree. I thought the cinematography was the number one thing in this movie because the way you set up your shots and the way, you know, certain things would appear in the background ever so subtly. And then there was one shot in the closet. Holy shit. <laughs> like, holy shit. And I don't get that way a lot. And I was literally like freaked out staring at it and i was like oh my god this is legit creepy so i thought the the combination was was brilliantly done i thought it was great well thank you i i appreciate that yeah i mean this was so you know i made two other films before this you mentioned sheepskin and then i made another movie called the devil's well um the sheep's uh sheepskin is sort of um a different kind mm -hmm. of take on the werewolf subgenre and mm -hmm. 
uh, the Devil's Well was a sort of my own take on the found footage subgenre, and uh, there are definitely some scares in the Devil's Well, and I kind of focused on atmosphere and all that. But this one, it was just straight atmosphere. I, I actually wanted to see if I could make something scary. And we, like I said, we had a very low budget. Uh, I like the idea of kind of keeping it confined in one location. I mean, some of that was budgetary, but uh, I'd like the challenge of shooting almost entirely within one location. Um, and, you know, I, I've lived in city urban areas. Um, as you, I don't know if you can hear, but there's a siren going on right now. Um, couldn't have been any better, really. Uh, but, you know, there's um, there's something that can actually be inherently creepy about being in an urban environment in terms of you're surrounded by so many people, but you're also isolated at the same time. Right. And so that was a big part of the dead girl in apartment three is, you know, budget obviously kept us confined to locations but um i i very purposely didn't want to go outside of the apartment as much as possible because you know i wanted you to the audience to hopefully feel kind of trapped in there like she was and that's kind of the whole point is you know you can be in this city full of you know millions of people but if you don't know anybody and you have no place to go what do you do so um yeah, no, yeah. I love that you're you brought up like subgenres of horror, right? Because it seems like we're getting new ones like all the time, <laughs> um, you know. And uh, I didn't even know that like apartment horror had its own classification until like <laughs> last year because I did like the 31 days of Halloween challenge. Um, my buddy always comes up with like a list and you have to check it off every year. And one of them was apartment horror. And I was like, what the hell's apartment horror? Dark water? What is this? No, yeah. like yeah, I hadn't like seen really any apartment horrors. So since then, like I've seen, it just keeps popping up now. Right. Like it, my brain is like blown, like because, um, well, what's his name? I can't think. Uh, the, the oh god, uh, Mia Farrow, Rosemary's Baby guy. Oh, Roman Polanski. Yes, he did a Repulsion. bunch of. Yes, <laughs> Repulsion, yes. Repulsion. Um, I had yeah. to watch that for a pod, <laughs> podcast last year. Um, and then um, I guess Rosemary's Baby is classified as apartment horror as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then uh, Dark Water. Um, I, I know there's a few others, but I think it's really cool that you're like hitting on different subgenres of you know you're still making a horror film but like you're hitting like all the classifications of what somebody might be interested in so yeah you definitely have to make a slasher <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh that's on my on my list yeah actually it's funny because repulsion um so when i was when i was in film school in my 20s the one of the professors he had me watch repulsion it was we were talking about other films and he's like have you ever seen Roman Polanski's uh, Repulsion, and I hadn't. And um, I was I was in uh, NYU, and so I went to uh, Kim's video, which was anybody who knows what Kim's video is. It was uh, kind of like the place to go get movies in the city at the time. Uh, unfortunately, not around anymore. Um, but uh, I rented Repulsion there, and instantly I was like one day I'm gonna make a movie that takes place all in an apartment <laughs> so um I, I don't know it's just it, it I find it interesting once again for all the reasons I explained is that you know I've I've lived in a bunch of apartments and that feeling of like can I really leave here you know it's it's like it's one thing when it's a house but like apartments are weird and there's been a lot of people who've lived in them before you yeah. and yeah. you have yeah. no idea the history of the place uh so I don't know I just I just find apartments kind of creepy so how, 
Yeah, the movie runs at I think like an hour and twelve minutes, right? Yeah. yeah um, did it? Um, did you write it um, to be that short, or did you edit yourself down, or? Um, uh, it was edited down slightly. Uh, so, you know, this was like a, a micro budget film, and we had a very tight schedule. I think in total it was fourteen days. Um, we shot eleven in the apartment with the star Laura. Um, then we had a couple of overlapping days with Adrian King. Um, but we had a couple of locations outside of the apartment with her, and then the other two remaining days were shot with uh, Brian Davis, who plays the character of Christian, because he was in different locations. So, uh, yeah, a lot of it was was schedule wise. We we lost scenes I had to cut things down while we were shooting them um, because it was still even though it was micro budget we were still a SAG film and so we were bound by the SAG restrictions in terms of schedule and stuff um, but uh, uh, really it's kind of the ending which unfortunately I can't say too much about but there was a little bit more planned for the ending yeah. um, but if you've seen the movie there's basically the last shot that you see of Laura and I won't say any more than that but like she almost practically like looks into the camera um and when we were shooting it we were we were kind of behind on time and you we were some things changed and I was kind of like feeling out that scene as we were going along and there was supposed to be more that took place after that and then we shot that scene with her and like the vibe of of the set like completely changed when she shot that scene and mm. i was like oh that's our ending right there i mean there's a little bit after that but like that i was like oh there's our ending so um with that we we lost probably a couple of pages uh that might have extended things out a little bit but not anything that i think it, actually to be honest everything else would have been almost a little more gratuitous and not left uh as much to maybe the imagination so Right. No, like I appreciated the runtime. Um, you know, I think sometimes I like I do this thing on wonder what it's gonna I call wonder what it's gonna be Wednesday to where I have to watch a random <laughs> a randomizer picks all these horror movies for me and I have to watch it no matter what. And a lot of those films that get picked for me, they they suffer from the director not editing down their films. And it's like, they, they're like afraid to cut anything. That's why right. I was asking that question, you know, and it just felt like it was so fluid throughout watching, you know, the dead girl in apartment three, um, that like, I, like you told the story in the time that you needed to tell it in and, right. you know, it's a full length film. And so I appreciated it. Like you didn't overdo anything. It felt perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Well, you know, and streaming has kind of changed things, uh, you know, and it, it's hard to get people to kind of sit down sometimes in front of a screen for an hour and a half or longer. It's, a, it's different in a theater. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I knew this wasn't going to go theatrical. So uh, with streaming becoming such a, a, a main form of distribution, you know, an hour and 12 minutes, I mean, you know, you have some episodes of shows that almost run that long, right. you know, so, um, you know, with it being sort of atmospheric and a little bit more of a slow burn, um, I, I didn't, 
I didn't want people to check out at any point. I wanted people to hopefully stay invested. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes you're a little bit more willing to give something a chance if it's an hour and 12 minutes as opposed to an hour and 40, you know? So yeah, I think it's smart. I, well, you know, and Lacey Lou does that. And I'm the complete opposite. Like I will, I, I won't watch because like you said, man, there's so many platforms there's so many movies out there and I don't want to knock anybody that's tried, you know, made, made a movie because I have not. I'm just saying like for my particular taste, it's, it's a very hard sell on a lot of these movies when, you know, they're not shot all that great. And the um, audio is atrocious. The audio. Yeah. And, and, and these make, you know, even like Tubi and stuff like that. I'm like, what the hell are we watching? This is ridiculous. Um, I want to know everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's why I mentioned the cinematography, because that's that's one thing that was completely on point. And I loved the the darkness of the movie as well. And I think I just think that those are the simple things for me as a viewer. I am. I'm like a snob. I get it. Like, I'm just I, I'm very particular about what I want to watch. I don't want to watch absolute shit. And you never know. You never know with all these streaming services. It's like it's like, you know, just roll of the dice. So when I see a movie like this, I I can't wait to not only talk about it to my friends and everything and and spread the word, but I also give you props because that must be hard kind of um like you said finding you know distribution and and when there's a million other movies I'm sure being, you know, brought up in that conversation as well. Yeah, no. Well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate the the kind words. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with streaming, there's so much more content now. Um, which it's it's really hard to break through. So hopefully things like this, doing podcasts and all that other kind of, basically word of mouth, you yeah. know, yeah. help spread the word. But um, yeah, well, and I have to give a shout out to Shannon Madden, who was the cinematographer on the movie. Mm. I mean, she did a great job. I mean, uh, she took some risks with the lighting. I mean, it's it's a pretty dark film. So, yeah. um, you know, and uh, when you're shooting in one location, basically like that, I mean, you have all these ideas of, okay, let's keep it confined. Let's make it feel claustrophobic for the audience. But then you're always worried, well, will it be boring or, you know, how much can you shoot in one room before right. it gets stale? And then, you know, of course you're going to be going back and forth to the same room. So how can you shoot this room just slightly different? And of course it's a, it's an actual function functioning apartment. So you can't knock down walls or, you know, anything like that. It's not like a, a set. So, um, it was really just like some of it was built out. Most of the scares were, you know, planned out ahead of time. Um, everything else was kind of like we felt it sort of on set. And, uh, you know, I, I knew the scenes because I wrote it. So um, I had already had in my head like certain ideas. But, um, you know, Shannon also brought um some very interesting lighting, which I think changed things. And then just some really slow focused camera movement, I think went a long way. So, uh, you know, yeah. props yeah. to her, so. Yeah, there's yeah. one scene in particular, um, you know, uh, I, I think it's probably the scariest scene, at least for me in the, the movie. I don't want to like give spoilers, but it kind of is just there for like a really long time. Yeah, you know what I'm oh saying? my and God, I'm like, dude. I'm like, how long are you going to do this to me? Like what? like what's gonna happen here and like it's just this really shot and I'm just like creeped out for like it feels like a good 10 minutes but it's not that long but it feels it you know like that's how I feel when somebody's like behind me like you can feel so that's yeah, what that it's like, is it's like, right it's like, there it's like breathing on your neck yes 
Yeah, so I'm assuming you're talking when um, Laura's on the, on the phone. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's funny that you say that because so uh, this movie, the way it actually came about was um, I was actually planning on shooting a different movie. So uh, my producing partner, Nicholas Papazagla, him and I have worked together for years. And then Frank Wibby, who was one of the other producers and he played Detective Miller in the movie. Um, uh, we had just partnered with him and he was a local filmmaker. And so the three of us decided to get together to do something to, uh, together. And I had originally shot or sorry, wrote a script for a, a, a different movie that was supposed to take place in a very specific location. And we, I wrote for that location and we, in, we were in pre-production. We had the location like basically locked down and then it fell apart. Um, we couldn't make things work with the owners of the location. And so we were like, okay, great. So we have a script and we had scraped together the money. Um, but now we don't have the location to shoot the movie in. So luckily, Frank had access to some locations uh, through his family and all that kind of stuff. And he showed me this apartment location. He's like, hey, listen, I had this apartment. You like, come check it out. Tell me what you think. So we went there and we saw it. And I was standing in the apartment and that scene popped into my head. And I said, you know what? I think I can write something for this place. So I went home. Yes. I, I wrote for maybe like a week or two to bang out like the first draft. And I was like, just give me some time. I, I will write something. And if you guys like it, we'll move on this. And so I wrote it. I came back to them. I said, here you go. Here's the script. And they're like, all right, cool. Let's do it. And so we went, you know, I, I did a couple of different drafts, but we went right into pre-production and then we were shooting within a few months. So. Wow. So there it is. I love that. Yeah. Now, yeah. we got we to talk about, obviously, the elephant in the room. Probably every every interview you probably get asked. Um, or a royalty. Right. Um, Adrian yeah. King. How did that come about? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Adrian King, she was such a sweetheart. And I'm so glad we had her in this movie. Um, obviously, I'm a big Friday 13th fan, as I'm assuming yeah. most people listening to this are. Uh, so to have somebody from one of like the the like you said royalty basically from one of the greatest horror films of all time is is awesome um yeah so when i initially wrote the script i wrote the two detectives and i just wrote them both as male detectives um I, we knew that uh we wanted to cast somebody from the horror genre in that role um and which is you know pretty par for the course for horror films so we knew that would be our name talent would be the the opposite uh detective so uh i just wrote it and i wrote it as a male and i had you know not really thought much aside from that and then we went into the casting phase and we were like okay who can we get and we started kicking around different like male uh genre actors and we you know nothing kind of felt right and i don't know we were kind of like hemming and hawing over that and we we're like who do we want for this part and then i'm pretty sure it was frank who said well does it have to be a guy and i was like oh that's actually really interesting i don't know why i never considered anything else and I and once we kind of switched over to being a female detective it actually opened up uh, a lot more options for us and uh, Adrian King was like top of our list right away and um, we contacted her agent and you know we again this you know low budget film and so you know we weren't offering a ton of money but the uh the agent said you know send over the script and so we sent it over and adrian king said she read it in a night and immediately called her agent and was like i want this part so, 
right. um, which was, you know, such a compliment. And, uh, you know, I think it was, it was, it was good for her because she was playing something different than she's ever played before. And um, I think, you know, you have a lot of these scream Queens now who are still out there doing, uh, you know, modern day movies, but a lot of times they're getting cast in, you know, maybe like mother roles or things like that, you know, just to kind of get them in the movie and, you know, use their yeah. name. But, um, you know, we wanted to have somebody that, you know, had, uh, you know, had something more than just like a, a side role. So uh, I'm, I'm really glad she was in the movie. She was such a nice person and I'm, I'm really glad we got to work with her. Yeah. And she came in swinging too. I have, I literally haven't seen her act since obviously, uh, you know, Friday part two, I know she's been in some other stuff, but haven't seen her act and she comes in with the New York accent and murders it. No pun intended. And I yeah. thought that she did such a great job. It wasn't over the top. It was just very, you know, it reminded me of an old school cop. It was, yeah. it was fantastic. Oh, um, uh, and before I forget, um, you in the movie, uh, Brockton, Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, uh, Dan was actually born in Brockton. That's where I was Boston. born. So, yeah, he grew up <laughs> on the Cape, but he was born in Brockton. I screamed. I was like, yeah. in Brockton. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. So, okay. That's it's. It's an inside joke for me that nobody else is ever going to get, but um, I got lost in Brockton, Massachusetts. Oh, time. no, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, it was when I was in uh, college, I was uh, dating a girl. I, I forget what college is up that way. Um, was it Stone, Stonehill? Stonehill around there? Stonehill is, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I went one weekend to go visit her and I took a bus um, because I, I wasn't, I didn't have a car at the time. And so I, I took a bus and uh, I ended up, um, they were supposed to pick me up at the Brockton bus station and uh, I was the last stop of the night. And so I got off the bus and this was like kind of pre cell phones. And so I got off the bus and they weren't there to get me oh, and no. things got, things got screwed up with the schedule and they thought the bus before mine was the last bus. And when I didn't get off of it, they went to the, like, um, whatever, like the, uh, I guess the Boston bus station somewhere they went somewhere to go find me and so I got off in Brockton and I was stranded in Brockton for a couple hours at night by myself wow. didn't you say Brockton's kind of sketchy it's rough as hell yeah that's yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I uh yeah no this is a true this is a true story actually there was a cop there was a cop walking the beat and he came up to me and he's like uh what are you doing here <laughs> And I was like, I got off the bus and I was, somebody was supposed to pick me up. And he's like, oh, well, that's not good. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thanks. And he's like, well, I hope when I come back, you're not here, but I hope it's for good reasons. I was like, okay, great. Okay. So. Thanks for your help, bro. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you made it out, man. Well, I, think, yeah, yeah. I think that's the beginning of a horror movie for you for your slasher. In, yeah, started off in Brockton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, seconds. Yeah, so I just needed I needed space between you know New York and and I needed him to be able to drive for a few hours and I was gonna put him in Connecticut but then I don't know if it, I thought it'd be funny to put it in Brock. Yeah, I, I <laughs> That's love perfect. It obviously, there's a connection here. So, um, yeah. have you told that story yet on this? Uh, no, nobody's asked about Brock. Nobody cares about Brockton. <laughs> See, we pay attention. I got out of there quick and moved to Cape Cod, uh, Johnson. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had to man 
But uh, yeah, and I wanted to say, you know, we touched on um, Adrian King, but this was well acted all around. Yeah. I think everybody did such a great job. And, you know, it's such a small cast and you spend a lot of time with with these, you know, few main characters. Um, yeah, I guess it's not really a, a question, but uh, I just think all your actors did a fantastic yeah. job and I want to comment on yeah, it. Yeah, Laura was amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Telling the movie, like, yeah. you know. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, she's she is amazing. Um, so Brian Davis, I had worked with before. He's actually been in almost all my movies. Um, he was in both my features and he was in a number of my shorts. Um, so him and I have just become friends over the years. And he he's an actor in New York and he teaches acting classes and that kind of stuff. And he he knew Laura. And so when I was casting for this movie, he uh, put her name out there and um I, we had auditioned a couple of people at that point and you know they were fine uh but we she sent in a, a video audition and like as soon as i saw it she just she nailed it right off the top and i was like oh perfect that's our laura plus her name was laura and i was like yeah right there you go. <laughs> so uh right <laughs> and you know when you're shooting on such a tight schedule like that and, it, and it's one person yeah you know all her scenes are almost performed basically by herself you know yeah. um sometimes we'd have somebody reading off camera for the uh uh phone call scenes but for the majority of the film it's by herself and you know that's that's not easy you don't have anything to play off of as an actor right. and um you know with such a short schedule you know she had to be prepared and you know there was a lot I was focusing on you know with camera and all the other kind of stuff and um you know uh she just came in and just kind of nailed every scene every once in a while we'd make some little tweaks here and there but um man she just i can't say enough good things again to be able to essentially carry a movie by yourself but yeah. also literally by yourself is not easy <laughs> so um and then uh a couple of other characters like you know frank frank is a character in and of himself and uh <laughs> yeah, <it's he>, even. <laughs> he's he's uh he's fun and then uh mike who mike shantz who I've also worked with before and uh you know if you've seen the movie you kind of yeah he's he's really good he's right. really good <laughs> i agree so, do you yeah. have <laughs> any um fun behind the scenes bloopers or stories uh did anything creepy happen while you were filming nothing cre nothing creepy happened but we were so the the apartment was uh on a main road and when I say like main road, I mean main road in a, okay. in a like an urban environment. And so um, it was very loud. There was a lot of cars. And so we'd be like filming a scene and sometimes a car would pull up at like the stoplight in front of the uh, apartment and they'd be playing like, you know, whatever, whatever kind of music with a lot of bass. And so we'd be in the middle of shooting this like creepy scene and all of a sudden, you know, boom, 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 you know, like, now like, I have to license Ja Rule. <laughs> basically. And actually there's, there's a funny blooper with Mike who was filming one of his more intense scenes. And all of a sudden, like he's trying to stay in character and then you hear the music and all of a sudden he just kind of breaks into dance. Like, um, I'm, pre I'm pretty sure that's in the behind the scenes. Um, uh, but yeah, that was fun. But luckily we had really good sound guys. We try to soundproof yeah. the place as much as possible leading up to it. Um, so luckily we didn't have too many takes blown by the sound, but yeah, that was, that was particularly difficult with uh, the sound yeah. of the traffic and cars and all that. So. Right. Now you've done a lot of editing as well. Um, while you're shooting a movie, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that 
that plays a big part, uh, you know, and goes hand in hand with shooting it and editing. Um, is there anything that was really, really tough to get across one way or another, whether it be shooting or editing? Was there any big problems that you, you ran into with those particular aspects? Yeah, I mean, so yes, I, I started off editing basically out of necessity. I mean, when you're shooting low budget stuff, um, it's a lot a lot of times easier to edit yourself because right. there's usually problems on set and yeah. you're like, okay, well, I know I can fix that problem later, <laughs> you know, or, <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. or at least you hope you can, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I edit a lot out of necessity, but over the years I've, I've what I've found myself doing a lot more of, I mean, especially with a film like New York Ninja. I'm not sure if you know the background on that, which we can talk about after, but um, I mean, that, that film was all editing. And so, um, yeah, I just, it's just become a thing, but I will say, so when I, when I went to film school, um, I went to NYU. I didn't go for like their Tisch program because yeah. I couldn't afford it, but um, I took like, they have intensive film courses there. And I was one of the last classes to actually take film courses so I learned to shoot film and when you shoot film as opposed to digital you shoot completely different because you you have a physical thing running through a camera and uh you have to plan your shots a lot more and so I I think that has taught me to shoot in a way that you shoot to the edit like you kind of have it pre-planned in your head already and uh sure you, you know you always get extra coverage but um you know, you kind of plan out, okay, I know I'll cut here. I know I'll do this. And so as I'm shooting stuff, I'm usually kind of cutting in my head. And so I'm already kind of shooting to the edit. So that way it's a lot easier for me to just jump in the driver's seat, so to speak, when I get into the editing room and just cut it myself. So yeah. Um, I just read the briefest of synopsis for New York Ninja. Can you please talk about that? Because that sounds interesting as hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, like I said, I work for Vinegar Syndrome, which is a film restoration preservation company. And in our film archive, we basically uh, discovered the unedited camera rolls for a movie called New York Ninja, which was shot in 1984 and was never finished. And um, so basically the movie was abandoned. And so again, in our film archive, we find all these these reels labeled New York Ninja and we start looking at them and again it's it's unedited but all the sound elements were missing and so basically we had this lost unedited movie and uh, I asked the owners if they'd be willing to kind of give me a budget and let me finish it and so what I did was essentially edit my own film out of the footage that was there um, I tried to stay as close to possible uh, to like what the original intention of the film was supposed to be. Right. Um, but without any sound or script or anything like that, I, I basically kind of had to cobble my own film together. Um, yeah. And uh, then I wrote new dialogue and we brought in some of our favorite genre actors to come in and dub the voices. So um, wow. Linnea Quigley, Michael Berryman are in there. <laughs> and and then um, from action genre we have like don the dragon wilson cynthia rothrock so uh yeah it, that that movie was literally all editing so um it was sort of just taking this silent footage and trying to make a story out of it and then writing dialogue to finish it so um that's I, amazing yeah that's so it's 
it's what did, what did the owners of the film say when you came to them were they like <laughs> uh well we 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 owned the rights to it so um okay. yeah so we ended up purchasing a group of films from a guy named arthur schweitzer who used to own a company called 21st century distribution and we purchased a, a bunch of films from him and this was thrown in with the mix and then um we found out later on we're like what's this new york ninja and he's like oh that's an unfinished movie we we never finished it you can do whatever you want with the footage you can throw it away get rid of it whatever and we were like no we can't throw it away and so um so you know we owned the rights to it it was originally uh directed by uh a martial artist named john Liu, who did a bunch of like uh kung fu movies back in the day but uh he's unaccessible at this point um He's kind of off the grid from what we know. So uh, there was really no help in that department. And we didn't have uh, credits to be able to track anybody down with. Wow. And so uh, it was basically, you know, left up to us. But like That's I said, we owned the rights. Like so free for all. Like, I mean, well, yeah. you owned it already, but you didn't have to. Has that ever been done before yeah. to that extent? Not not to my knowledge. There's been things wow. similar, similar right. but never to this level. So um, That's so it, cool. Yeah, within the preservation side of things, like it's really cool because from a preservation perspective, this is like a whole nother level of preservation. Um, and then just from a genre standpoint, the movie itself is, is actually a lot of fun. I mean, if you're a fan of like Samurai Cop or Miami Connection or any of the movies similar to that, um, you'll love New York Ninja. Uh, <laughs> like I, so. I have to see it just on principle alone now of like the backstory of it all. Right? Yeah, it's crazy. We actually, so I've, we've been doing like a, a theatrical run with it. We actually struck, once it was done, we struck a 35 millimeter print and it's been touring on 35. So uh, I've been going to a lot of the screenings and uh, the audience just kind of goes crazy for it. So I love it. Um, That's I, awesome. I, I definitely... I definitely recommend if you can like watch it with friends. It's definitely like a uh, beer and pizza type movie, you know, yeah. where yeah. you're gonna you're gonna have a good time with I it. I like so. into a Bob night. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I love so. Well, I just have two more questions for you. I know you probably have other ones you got to get to. So, um, uh, I ask everybody that comes onto the show um, to recommend us a movie or the listeners a movie. It can be any genre; it doesn't have to be horror um preferably but if not that's okay too oh man uh wow that's a that's a tough question especially like i mean i i live in the world of films you know? right. um, You're welcome. yeah yeah well okay uh <laughs> if you have not seen miami connect have either of you seen miami connection no, no i don't even think i've heard of it okay. <laughs> that's right. why i love asking this question <laughs> yeah so uh so actually you know check out vinegar syndrome um uh, vinegar syndrome.com we you know, we have a ton of films that we've released, but um, I loved Miami Connection before we actually put it out. Um, uh, Draft House Films put it out years ago and then it went out of print. Um, it, it's kind of not quite to the level of New York Ninja in terms of like uh, it being finished and all that, but it was it was a lost film for a while. And the guys from Draft House found it and basically started doing these screenings of it and it became this like midnight cult sensation and uh man are you in for a good time my so. connection sold yeah. <laughs> and then my last question for you curtis is uh where can the listeners find what you're working on um social media wise where can they check you out yeah i'm uh i'm not super great at social media um okay. i i generally stick to instagram because it's 
to me at least the most fun platform. So um, at Curtis Beeler, that's where I usually do most of my updates for like films and what's coming out. Um, I do do Facebook, just not as much. And then uh, I, I don't do Twitter. <laughs> Same. So, um, and the movie comes out on uh, August 9th, right? August 9th. Yeah, August 9th, uh, digital. And then there will be a Blu-ray release uh, November 22nd. So. Yes, awesome. which is my birthday so it is. Yeah. awesome um, go purchase it on november 22nd <laughs> um thank you so much for joining yeah, us open thanks, invitation man. anytime anytime you have something remote please think of uh skip yeah. to the chase here so yeah yeah sure and if uh if you check out new york ninja and you like it i'm more than willing to come back for that so Yes, yes. let's do that. Yeah. Next time you see Brockton, just keep going. <laughs> keep going. Do not get on that bus. Wise words, wise words. <laughs> All right, everyone uh, who's been a part of this one, I'm Lacey Lou. And I'm Dan Chase. And that was Curtis Feeler. Bye, everyone. <laughs>